the passage this morning comes from John, right at the very end of 2, and then chapter 3, 1 to 15. It's great to be back. Um, I heard last week was great. I missed worshiping with you. Um, we are working through the Gospel of John. Uh, well, this sermon and the next two will be in John on Thanksgiving. That Sunday, Chris Moody will be preaching. We're really excited to hear from Chris. I don't know if Chris is even here this morning. If he were, I'd embarrass him, but I'm embarrassing him now because he's not here. And then we'll have our Advent series. That'll be four Sundays leading into Christmas. Uh, Shane will be preaching on the 30th, and then we'll pick up in John again in the new year. So we're going to kind of hang out at John 3 and possibly John 4 uh, for the next few weeks. And this is a very famous passage, right? This is a passage that you'll immediately recognize. So let's jump in and unpack what Jesus tells us here in John. Well, again, I'm going to finish at John 2 and then into 3. So the end of John 2 says, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. Now we're at chapter 3, 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born, born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for new life, but we confess that often we have become comfortable in our lives and are afraid of finding out the ways that we turn from you. And when we confront or are confronted by this news, I pray that rather than being afraid, we would fall at your feet in worship. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to the beauty of the new birth. Amen. Born again, that, that's a phrase we don't use as much, at least I don't hear it as much. But how oftentimes people will use that terminology, I'm a born-again Christian. 
Um, and it's a fine, a great terminology. Usually they're saying, I'm not in that camp, or I'm not in this camp, I'm in this camp. But we understand the term. I think as, as we've become modern, however, and maybe we've moved away as to, in a, to a post-Christian world, the term, the concept has become more distant. What does it mean to be born again? So in some ways, we're like Nicodemus. We're kind of coming to this text going, oh, yeah, like that is what Christianity is. All Christianity hinges on this doctrine of being born again. And so we're going to dive into that. Um, and I, I think the hardest thing is for Nicodemus and for us is this idea of going all the way back to the beginning, right? Like back to the zero and starting over. When Emily and I were in graphic design, we um, were old and we had the massive power PC computers and the computers in the graphic design world were starting to become popular and that's how you did it. We were sort of on the cusp of doing it by hand. Uh, now you just use a laptop and sit at a coffee shop. And we're at this huge computer in a lab and you've been working for hours and hours on an assignment and you mess up and something disappears and you freak out and you look, there's always a computer lab monitor and you look to that person, hey, help. And of course, you know, the, the get up, you know, move, and they sit down, and they teach you Command-Z. Have you all heard of Command-Z? Now everyone has a Mac. You all know Command-Z, right? That was like revolutionary. We're like, oh, yes, you hold the Command button, you hold the Z button, and you keep doing that. For those of you that do PC, it's the edit undo. Uh, it goes back until you, okay, it's recovered. I can breathe again, right? How, and we, we used to joke, like, we should wear a T-shirt, like, I need a Command Z for life. You know, wouldn't you like that in life? Like, oh, I just said that. I just, oh, I just put my foot in my mouth. Command Z, let's try that again. Well, how far back would you go? Like, where would you finally stop and say, that's where I'm good, right? And so I think the beauty of this doctrine is you go all the way back to the beginning, Right? And Jesus is saying, not you, I know it's written this way, you must be born again. I want you to hear this. I've got great news. You get to be born again. Like, isn't that good news? We get to start all the way over. Let's do this. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning, the need for the new birth, the nature of the new birth, and the process of the new birth. Um, I love that John tells us a story. I love that the Bible uses story. You, you could pretty much put all the commands in the Bible in just a few pages, but, but God in his infinite wisdom tells us the story of the entire arc of, of redemption, right? And it's beautiful. And even this story, John could just say, Jesus not only did signs, but he told everyone you had to be born again. But he tells us a story. And the story is about this man named Nicodemus. And he's a real person. Like this guy really existed. He really lived and breathed and had hopes and dreams and ate food. And one night, he goes and he finds Jesus. What does John tell us? He was a Pharisee. Um, for our intents and purposes, I'll just say he was very serious about his knowledge of Scripture and his practice of divinity. He's also a ruler, which means he's probably on the Sanhedrin. So he's not only a Pharisee in his practices, but he has authority and power and wealth. And later in the, in the story, uh, Jesus says to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand? He apparently is even a teacher. Like he's higher up. He's maybe the teacher or a prominent teacher. And so for him... 
to come to Jesus is a big deal. Some, some commentaries want to say, well, don't make that a big deal. But it is. Because in all the other accounts that you see Pharisees, Jesus comes into their home often. Or a group of them kind of go up to Jesus in the daylight to try to trap him. But, John, but Nicodemus has come to Jesus at nighttime to ask a question or to find out more about who Jesus is. And there's humility in that. And here's what he says. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. There's no questions. Did you hear a question? Just here's a statement. But yet his very presence in that scene shows that he has an itch he can't scratch. That sense of like, I have everything. But you're doing these amazing signs. And I believe you've come from God. What if there's more? What if there's something I don't know? What if there's something that could scratch that itch I haven't found yet? And uh, in a beautiful way, Jesus just goes straight to the point, doesn't he? Most of us, would, I would recommend taking a few more moments before answering this amazingly. But for Jesus, he says, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I love, <laughs> I love Nicodemus' answers. Because it shows he is undone by the statement, right? He's a theologian. He kind of could interact better than he did. He goes into sixth grade brain, like six-year-old brain. Like, oh, what? Like, I'm supposed to enter into my mother's womb? Okay, a six-year-old wouldn't say that. So maybe like eighth grader. Like, he just cannot believe what Jesus just said. But what was so hard about it? You like the stuff you've done. Like, you're proud of yourselves. I see you on Facebook. Like, we like our things, like the things we've done. We like the good stuff about ourselves. We're proud of ourselves. We've worked very hard, especially if you're in his shoes. If you're Nicodemus, you've worked very, very hard to get where he is. Um, I know I've used Braveheart a lot, and I'm not really doing an illustration. This is an allusion to Braveheart. But you know Robert or Bruce, like he's the guy that's a Scottish noble, has all of this coming to him from his father, but he also sort of likes William Wallace and he's on the fence. Like what if, what if this is wrong? I mean, I know I'm getting this inheritance. Am I saying things wrong? I'm seeing people like, oh, he's doing it all wrong. Do you know who Robert or Bruce is? Do I have to tell you the whole? He's the guy in Braveheart who, though he's a Scottish noble, he falls like in love in a way with William Wallace's message. And William Wallace is like the Scottish, like, Jesus. Like, he's going to rescue his people. Now, at the end, he betrays him, but don't worry about that. But throughout the, you see him almost, that, just that, I feel like with Nicodemus, he's on the fence. Like, I want to follow you, but do I have to give up everything? And so we're talking right now about the need for the new birth and why you have to give up everything. Um... And the answer is this. It's in verse 13. So they go back and forth, and finally Jesus says, listen, no one has ascended into heaven except him who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. In other words, you need a righteousness outside of yourself. All those things you feel about yourself that make you righteous, Nicodemus, they're not enough. 
And I think Nicodemus knows this. Paul in Philippians famously uh, explains how he at one point also put all of his hope and trust in his own lineage, right? He talks about being zealous, a Pharisee, the tribe he was born in, the, the, the ways his circumcision at, the, at eight days old happened. Like, he was proud. But when he understood Jesus for the first time and understood the gospel, he said all of that fell to the ground. Not that it wasn't important in his natural life, but that it wasn't his identity. It wasn't what he placed his faith in. And so here Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he seems to be on the fence, and Jesus tells him, you need to be born again. And I think he began to feel the weight of both the beauty and the risk of being born again. So here's the illustration I want you to sit on. November 6th, what happens? Everyone knows what happens on November 6th, because we've been hearing about it like for the last two years. Election day, vote, get out and vote. I'm going to get political. Not really. Ryan went out of town, became back political. Wouldn't that be a story? I would hate to be a candidate running for governor or any of these other offices. Why? Because I would show you, what, the guy in the meadow with his horse? Vote for this guy. He's got the horse in the meadow. You know? Oh, he shoots deer or whatever the, the story is. And, and it would look really good. Like, that would be what I would want you to see. That's my ad. Like, do you see me in my ad with my family at my breakfast table? That's me. Yay. Then what happens? The other guy's ad comes out. Here's the real Ryan Baker. And can you just imagine like all the dread and the shame and the reality of the fact that other people know you and they're bringing out these stories about you. They've dug into your past and they're airing out your dirty laundry. That's why I will never run for office. I don't even know what would show up. But um, that terrifies me. Does that terrify you? What if there's more? And, and I think that when you read Paul, for example, in Romans 7, and he says, the law comes to life, he doesn't say, and I was awesome, I, I achieved the law. It says, do not covet, and I nailed it. He says, it exposed me. Right? I, it, in fact, it inflamed in me a desire to covet even more. And so what happens is you begin, when you get close to Jesus, to realize there is nothing good in me apart from Jesus, right? My story, my commercial, my election signs are not going to get me to heaven. I need a savior. And so we turn to now the nature of the new birth that, that Jesus is telling, uh, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you need to be born again, even you, this, per, this seemingly flawless individual, um, and so he takes him to a place in Moses. Did you read that verse 14? It kind of just gets slipped in there. He tells Nicodemus, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I think I've read that a lot. And I even have read the original, but it was in studying it these past two weeks that it began to really churn in me. Um, so the story is this. It's in Numbers 21. The Israelites, as they were wont to do, were grumbling about God and Moses. And so God sends these serpents into the camp to bite them. Poisonous. And many of them died. So that sounds it's really intense. 
So they cried out to Moses, forgive us. We've spoken against God. We've, we've complained. We've been you know, unbelieving. And so God says, do this, Moses. Build a bronze like serpent, metal serpent. I don't know how big. Put it on a pole and stick it high in the air. And apparently when the sun, I read one commentary that said when the sun shines on that bronze, it is so bright that for someone who's been inflicted with the pain of these snakes, it would almost, it would, the pain would be excruciating. But yet they would have to make eye contact with that serpent, with that image on the cross. Or, excuse me, I just gave it away, didn't I? Up on the pole. And as I processed that more and more, I thought, how fitting that it was the very same thing on the pole that bit them. And so we, it's a picture of the cross, right? At the cross, Jesus is carrying our sin. And, and you... You come to the cross aware of the fact that you are unrighteous and are not righteous in yourself. And you look up and you see Jesus on the cross. And it creates, I think, beauty. But it reminds you of the difficulty and the length he's gone to to save you. And so right here in the early part of John, he's telling Nicodemus, this is what is going to happen to the Son of Man. And this is what you need. The nature of of the new birth is that you stop looking at your own righteousness and you look to the righteousness that the cross alone gives you in Jesus. And that sets you free. So I was reading again Romans 7 and 8 and I'm processing a little bit differently with Paul because I know he's delivering a theological, well-crafted statement of the gospel but you sense in Romans 7 and let me just turn there some, some consternation as he's talking about how um, the law, when it comes to life, he dies, right? And he starts to struggle. And finally, in verse 15, he says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not w- do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells with me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability. And he goes on to finally say, Who will rescue me from this sin that dwells in my members, wretched man that I am? And I, and I want to highlight that because I think so often I read that intellectually. I read that theologically. I read that as um, someone going, Ah, oh, I know the answer, Paul. Jesus will. But do you hear him crying out? And have you cried out in your sin? Like Paul is wrestling with the fact that he has emotions and passions at war in his inner being, even as a Christian, that's driving him to the cross. And I think the proof of that point is what he says right there in verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. And I think that feeling of condemnation is probably something you struggle with and I struggle with more than we've ever known. The feelings of of self-contempt and condemnation wrapped up in how we do in our lives, how we are doing in our role as a mother, a father, a student, in our job, right? We walk around, how people even this morning have approached you, oh, did I, how often are you just, wondering how people, do you struggle with that or am I alone? 
I did come from the Allender Center, so maybe it's just me. We know others have struggled with that. I want to read, um, well, I'm going to kind of do a summarizing reading here from one of my favorite authors on this topic, Horatius Bonar. Um, he wrote the book called The Holiness of God, um, but he's, it's exceedingly gospel-centered, and he's talking about the new life. And he says, it is to a new life that God is calling us, not to some new steps, not to some new habits or ways or motives or prospects, but a new life. He says, the man from whom the old life has gone out and into whom the new life has come is still the same individual. The same being that was once under law is now under grace. His features and limbs are still the same. His intellect, imagination, capacities, responsibilities, they're all still the same, but yet old things have passed away and all things have become new. The old man is slain. The new man lives. It is not merely the old life retouched and made more comely. Defects are struck out. Roughness is smoothed down. Graces are stuck here and there. It is not a broken column repaired or a soiled picture that's cleaned, a defaced inscription filled, but rather it's a new life. And he actually quotes and references this story with Nicodemus. And he says, hear how God talks about it. Newborn babes from 1 Peter, new creatures from Galatians, a new lump from 1 Corinthians, a new man, Ephesians 2, doers of a new commandment, heirs of a new name and a new city. Do you hear this? And how does that sit with you? How does the thought of leaving this room today completely washed sit with you? I've often thought about how, have you ever thought like, man, the witness protection program would be awesome. Anyone? Raise your hand if it's crossed your mind. Somebody. Like, I don't know why, but like, can you imagine like, here's your house. Here's your, I mean, we'd miss everybody, but uh, you get to go. But guess what would happen? I would be bringing in all the same stuff, same stuff into this situation. What Jesus is offering you is the same life, but protection from shame and guilt and condemnation that Christ gives you. Um, I've been si- listening to um, this song we've been listening, Emily and I, The Overwhelming, Never Failing, Reckless Love of God. Anyone like that song? Could have sung it this morning, but I didn't think of it in time. We've just been singing it. Oh, I sing, I sing on the way in. Jesus is reckless. And I know that sounds strange, but that's how it feels. When you start to sense his love and his closeness to you, I want to say, me? Like, don't I have to do a little bit of, like, put a little makeup on or, you know, wash up a little bit? Like, he comes after you as you are. How does that sit with you? What does that do for you? Does that free you? So I want to finish and just kind of move toward the end by talking about the process I think this creates. Um, There's three responses to this concept of the new birth that are out there. One would be if you're not a Christian. There are people in this room that do not know Jesus, right? Um, Maybe you think you do. Maybe you pretend. I'm not asking you to, to question your salvation right now. I just am saying the odds are somebody in this room, in their mind, if not verbally, would say, I'm really not a Christian. I would hope you might see this passage and see that Jesus is saying, you get to be born again. I'm going to come in and give you my righteousness. I'm going to come in and change you. 
And all you have to do, and it's in verse 15, is simply believe. I would love to hear that story from this morning. I think another group, and this is a slightly larger group, would be people who are Christians, who have been born again, who's, who are indwelt by the Spirit, but will struggle through seasons of unbelief and have maybe lost a sense of the beauty of that gospel. I would hope this morning you would hear Jesus looking at you and saying, I promise you, I have far more for you, far more love than you would ever know. If you would simply believe that I am the one who supplies all the things you're after. Whatever idle pursuit you have, be it your industry, relationship, whatever, it, is a, uh, it will fall down and crash to the ground. And Jesus will not. I was talking to someone recently who was starting to understand um, some, of some of these items, and they said, but you don't know me. And the way it was said was sort of like, if you only knew, it was partly back off, and partly, but if there's things that you don't know that you would not think I could be healed. And that's true. I didn't know that person as well. And then you have other relationships where you're really well-known, marriage, family, right? People know you quite a bit. When you're married, it doesn't take long to kind of, like, this is what I look like in the morning. But even then, your spouse can only know you so well. What would it be like if the God who made you actually knew you all the way into your core. And what we learn in the next week's lesson, verse 16, for God so loved, and insert your name, that he sent his only son to die for you, to pursue you, to bring you home. And for the final group, there's a group, I believe, of people who love Jesus, who are walking with him. The gospel is meaningful, but I would still say that the cross has to constantly be the center of our daily existence. Because at the cross, what we admit is, my righteousness is not enough. I need to die to myself and be raised with Jesus every day. And there's a power in that. There's a power in going to him for our righteousness and not to our own methods, our own um, ways of covering ourselves and trying to pretend life is better than it is. That's the message. So, what happens when that, when that goes on? I want to read the Edwards quote from the very front, Jonathan Edwards, from his Religious Affections, which is a phenomenal work. He says, The saints' love to God is the fruit of God's love to them. It is the gift of that love. God gives them a spirit of love for him because he loved them from eternity. His love is the foundation of their regeneration the whole of their redemption. So what does Jesus look like to you right now? Have you ever heard of Paul Harvey? Anyone? How does he end every program? And now, no, not the programs. This is his um, Saturday morning story thing. I used to actually listen to Paul Harvey every day. And now the rest of the story, okay? So Nicodemus comes to Jesus has all of this to lose. And you would think like the rich ruler, he'd just disappear off into the distance and keep doing what he's doing. But many of you know the end of the story, but I'll tell you the end of the story. It starts with a sad account. Our Lord and Savior is on the cross 
and he breathes his last breath. And that is horrible. That's not well, but he's going to come down and we know that, but it's horrible. And for his disciples, they were disheveled. They didn't know what to do, and most of them fled. But in John 19, we hear about a man named Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus. He talks to Pontius Pilate, uses some of his authority and power, and says, can we please bring his body down and don't break the bones? I have a tomb. We'll take care of him. And he has a friend that's going to help him. Verse 38, verse 39. Nicodemus also who earlier had come to Jesus by night, bringing the mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. And so they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as it is the burial custom of the Jews. I mean, do you see the picture of Nicodemus and the transition that's happened in his life? That he waits for the body of Jesus The bronze serpent is now coming off of the tree, off of being lifted high. The one who took all of the sins that has given him a new identity lays dead. And he wraps him and touches his physical body and is undoubtedly weeping. That is a beautiful picture of transformation. And I would love to see his face three days later. When those fabrics are torn and Jesus is raised from the dead and Nicodemus now knows that he is sinless. He has died and been raised with Jesus and there's nothing you could do to take that away from him. I promise you his life was changed. He probably lost a lot of status. His job probably changed. Maybe he moved. We don't know. But Jesus was whom he loved because Jesus loved him. Do you sense that love of Christ? Do you know he loves you? And do you know there's nothing you can do to lose that if it's true of you? Will you receive that this morning? No matter which of those categories you're in, rest and worship in the love of Christ. Let's pray. We praise you, Jesus, that you are real, that you are here, and that you pursue us in a way that can somewhat be called reckless, at least from our perspective, because you don't stop. Lord, we're prone to resist. We can do that through religious things, and we can do that through irreligious things. But Lord, we are very much afraid of needing you for our righteousness. But I pray this morning that you would be the only righteousness, the only measurement we hold to, Father. I pray that as we take the meal in a few moments, as we continue our worship, we would hear the sweet music of the gospel playing once again in our hearts. Amen.